Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. I'm Jordan McPherson. Season's underway. The Marlins are one series into the 2023 season, and it hasn't gone the way the Marlins had hoped. The Marlins went one and three in their four game set against the New York Mets, losing five to three on Thursday, winning two to one on Friday, and then losing six to two Saturday and five to one on Sunday to start the season one and three in the Skip Schumacher era. Now, again, just a reminder, it's one series, it's four games over the course of 162 game season. And it was a series against arguably one of the league's top teams and one of the team's top spenders in the Mets. But with that said, the Marlins didn't want to be one and three, and they had their opportunities to have a better record than that over the course of the set. So with that, what went wrong? I mean, we're going to have to start with the fact that they failed to get those timely hits, which has been a problem that they were hoping to resolve with the acquisitions of Luis Arias, Gene Segura, Yuli Gurriel, and just beefing up the lineup. Even with all that, they went four for 27 with runners in scoring position. They left 25 runners on base. Just a lot of opportunities that they squandered that they were never able to really build on. The biggest one for me goes to the Sunday game. They were down 2 nothing going into the bottom of the first. They get each of their first four runners on base against the Mets' Kodai Senga with Luis Arise leading off with a single, Jorge Soler driving him in with a double, and then Jazz Chisholm Jr. and Avicel Garcia both walking to load the bases. Had the chance, Skip Schumacher's direct quote was, we had him on the ropes. What happened after that? Yuli Gurriel struck out, Jesus Sanchez struck out, John Birdie lined out to right field. Marlins one real chance to put runs on the board just went wasted. They didn't get another running in, runner in scoring position until the eighth, and even then that was with two outs, and they did they were able to do nothing to be able to tack on any sort of runs there. So, again, four for 27 runners in scoring position, 25 runners stranded, uh, eight runs scored overall. Six of those eight came via four home runs. A two-run shot by Garrett Cooper on opening day that tied the game at 3-3 in the sixth inning before the Mets tacked on two runs at the top of the seventh to go ahead for good. Two solo home runs that got them the win on Friday, Jorge Soler and Jazz Chisholm Jr., a two-run home run by Nick Fortes that gave them an early 2-1 lead on Saturday before everything sort of fell apart there. And then none on Sunday. Sunday was just the Jorge Soler RBI double. Home runs are good. I'm not saying don't hit home runs, but this Marlins team, this Marlins lineup, was specifically created to put balls in play, wreak havoc on the base path, move station to station, the small ball type stuff, and we haven't seen that part of the game yet. Getting the home runs, it's helpful. It's going to be beneficial, and you need that at times. But if they're solely going to be relying on the home runs, this offense isn't going to be sustainable. And then you have to look at, on the pitching side, walks, lack of command. It was just a rough go for the Marlins starting pitchers in that series against the Mets. The combined stats from the four guys, Sandy Alcantara on Thursday, Jesus Lazardo on Friday, Edward Cabrera on Saturday, and then Trevor Rogers on Sunday. They gave up nine runs, only eight earned, on 11 hits and 16 walks, while striking out just 13 over 19 and two-thirds innings. Sandy Alcantara and Jesus Lazardo both made five and two-thirds innings. Lazardo had the best outing of them all. He was five and two-thirds shutout innings. Granted, he was taken out with the bases loaded in the sixth, and JT Chargois comes in, faces P. Alonzo, gets him to line out to Jazz in left center to strand the bases loaded, and... 
keep Miami's what was a 1-0 lead intact there before Jazz Chisholm Jr. hit uh, got them in the insurance run with his eighth-inning home run. Uh, Sandy, command wasn't really there. He walked four guys. He only did that, I think it was three or four times last year. Opening day last year, just a reminder, he walked five guys against San Francisco in their extra innings lost there. So I'm not going to put too much stock into what happened with the starting pitchers for start one. Uh, just it's first start of the season, that Mets lying up again. It's basically all all-stars, even guys riding the bench and the guys who are making the spot starts. They make you work. Will the Marlins need to be better? Of course, obviously, they need to get their starters need to get in the zone. They need to their stuff plays when they're throwing strikes. If they can do that and the offense can find ways to start to turn around, which again, it's four games, we'll see what this team can do. As for some of the highlights from this opening series, how can you not start with Luis Arise? He went nine for 16, a double, two runs, one RBI, one walk, and just one strikeout. He became the just the second player in franchise history to reach base to lead off each of the first four games of a season. The only other person to do that was Hanley Ramirez to start the 2006 season. And his nine hits through four games is tied for the fourth most in franchise history to start, start a season. Emilio Bonifacio had 11 in 2009. JT Romuto had 10 in 2017, and Jeff Conine had 10 in 1993. And also, as I mentioned, with the starting pitchers struggling with their command, I still give them credit for minimizing the damage despite their struggles. Sandy Alcantara, he gave up three runs despite the four walks. Lazario, as I mentioned, held the Mets scoreless over five and two-thirds despite the four walks. Edward Cabrera walked six guys but only gave up two runs. And Trevor Rogers. Wow, his his start was interesting, to say the least. First inning ended up being 36 pitches. He could have been out of it at the 20-pitch mark. Uh, started Tommy Pham, lifted a single in the left. John Birdie caught a line out to, for the first out of the inning. Then Francisco Lindor hits a ground ball to Birdie at third. Looks like a simple 5-4-3 double play. They almost have it. And then the ball pops out of Yuli Gurriel's glove. Lindor is safe, and he continues. He then, Trevor Rogers then walks Pete Alonso on four pitches, then walks Marcana on four pitches. Next thing you know, bases are loaded. Jeff McNeil hits a dribbler of a ball down the first baseline. Trevor Rogers goes to get it, tries to make the throw the first, and just can't make the play. McNeil is safe, two run score, needs to face another batter. Eduardo Escobar ultimately strikes out. Trevor Rogers went from 20 pitch, potentially 20 pitch scoreless inning to 36 pitches, two run scoring on two walks in an error that came after what could have been the inning ending out. He settles in for the second, third, and fourth innings. Then the fifth hits Tim Locastro, gives up a home run to Tommy Pham, and then another hit by pitch. He's out of the game at, He's out of the game after four and a third. Rodgers, the fact that he settled in for me was key. Obviously, the results are priority one, but after what he did last year where anytime something bad happened, it just snowballed and mentally he wasn't able to recover to see that sign on Sunday for me was a positive step, even in the negative results. And if he's able to build on that and get out of those first, that first inning a little quicker next time around, things look like they could be possibly go better for Rogers down the road. Uh, two other things, shout out to Huascar Brazaban with the starters command 
fading early and the Marlins trying to make sure that they don't have to use some of their high leverage pitchers in situations that don't dictate them. Brazzaban stepped he stepped up. After Sandy Alcantara well, after Sandy Alcantara left the game on Thursday, Brazaban ended up throwing the eighth and the ninth inning through two shutout innings to be able to preserve the back end of the bullpen for later in the weekend. And then Sunday, after Trevor left after four and a third, he threw the next two and two thirds innings. He gave up just one run in that span. He struck out five overall in his four and two thirds innings. And he, again, he minimized the dam- any sort of damage that could have come their way. And he allowed Schumacher to not have to use Dylan Floro or Tanner Scott or AJ Puck in non-high leverage situations. And on that note, AJ Puck, first save of the season, Dylan Floro pitched the eighth in that game on Friday. On Friday, and speaking of Friday, the teal, the throwback uniforms, fantastic, beautiful. Insert whatever adjective you want here. As Jazz Chisholm Jr. said when I asked him post game Friday, wish we could wear them every day. I'll sell for one home game. I'll sell for one home game a week. Marlins, here's my plea: if you can find a way to wear them more than one once every homestand, I don't think people will be complaining. Uh, and next up for the Marlins, uh, they're facing the Twins to close out the homestand. Just a quick note, this is being recorded before the first game of that series on Monday night. So all the stats and whatnot that have been discussed are just through the Mets series and just through games played on Sunday. And with the Minnesota Twins here, that means the return of Pablo Lopez. Again, Pablo was a fixture in this starting rotation for the last handful of years. And the Marlins in, back in January... Had them, they pulled that trade where they sent Lopez, Jose Salas, and outfielder prospects Byron Trio to the Twins so that they could get Luis Arias. And as of right now, I'd say, again, it's early in the season. It's still way too early to fully determine everything. But back when the trade was made, I felt it was a win win. The Marlins needed a bat. I, and specifically, they needed a table setter, a leadoff hitter. Who else is better than that than? a reigning AL batting champion. The Twins needed a starting pitcher, and Lopez was the logical option, and he's been that logical option for the Marlins to deal for a big trade going back to last year's trade deadline. Lopez, as good as he's been and as great as his 2022 season was, first time he pitched a full season in a non-pandemic-shortened season during his in his career, Long-term, Lopez just probably wasn't going to be a staple in that top five for Miami. I mean, Alcantara and Lazardo are your one-two. Cabrera and Rogers, both of them are able to keep doing what they're doing. That's arguably one of the best starting fours in terms of potential in baseball. You have Yuri Perez waiting in the wings. You have Max Meyer, who's coming back from, who's coming back from Tommy John. You have Jake Eder waiting in the wings. You have Dax Fulton waiting in the wings. Potentially Sixto Sanchez. The Marlins have options. And again, they have Johnny Cueto filling that five spot until those options are ready. So if the Marlins were able to maximize Pablo Lopez's value, which they did, it made sense for everybody involved in this for that trade to get done. And, you know, tip of the cap to Pablo Lopez. Twins named him their opening day starter. He threw five in the third shutout innings, gave up just two hits, struck out eight against the Royals to begin their season. And Wednesday, Marlins are going to be facing Pablo Lopez. He'll go up against Jesus Lazardo. Sandy Alcantara starts the day before. It's Cueto Monday, Sandy Tuesday, Lazardo Wednesday. And again, Pablo Lopez getting that start. That tribute video is going to be emotional. 
assuming it's going to be emotional for him just in general being here, even though he got some of those butterflies and chance to reminisce out of the way a little bit when he was here for the World Baseball Classic and was dominant there as well. But being there with his old teammates, being able to catch up with guys, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see for Pablo Lopez. And speaking of that, had the chance to catch up with Pablo pregame Monday, and here's what he had to say just about his time with the Twins so far, reflecting on the Marlins' career and what he anticipates Wednesday is going to be like. Pablo, what was it like walking back in this building for the first time at this time as a Minnesota Twins? You know, I think WBC actually made it a lot, a lot easier on me. WBC was strange, being the visiting side twice. Now coming here, a little more familiar, but still strange. You know, like I came to the Dex Club and I had to turn right instead of turning left. So that's definitely something I wasn't used to. But you know, uh, like I said, being here for WBC made it a little more familiar. But yeah, definitely not used to it. Definitely used to be on the third base side of things, the clubhouse, the weight room, doing my prep work in that weight room instead of this one. So obviously different, but. You know, like being here, here as a Minnesota twin, I don't know, just exciting. A lot of people to catch up with, so I'm looking forward to that. Obviously, you guys, members of the media, then the coaches, side, the players. I'm look, really looking forward to have plenty of conversations today. Well, a lot of Marlins fans are very sad to see <laughs> you go. A lot of well wishes for you and a lot of support. What did that mean to you? No, it meant so much to me. Obviously, I was here for five years, so... Uh, obviously, I tried to represent myself and the Marlins the best I could, and having their support meant the world to me, you know. I knew they had my back. I tried to have their back as much as I can every time I took them out. So having that much support, they wished me so many, you know, like, well wishes. Uh, some people were upset, but they got a great return. They got a great player and person in return, so I think they should be happy also, um, given what they got. So every single wish that I got was really, really appreciated. And then just try to, uh, obviously, they, they have a very big place in my heart, and everywhere I go, I'm thinking of them. Oh, well, what are some of your favorite memories from the five years you spent here in Miami? Yeah, no, obviously there's there's tons of them, you know. This is the place I saw this is the place I saw me grew as a player, as a person. It's a place I saw my hair fall off too, so <laughs> uh, but no, so many great memories. My debut has to be one. Obviously when I had the game where I struck out the nine consecutive players. I didn't really enjoy it during the game because you're still locked in because there's things to do. But after that that's really a memory that I keep with me at all times. So obviously many, many great memories and all the relationships I was able to develop with my um, fellow starters, features, the coaching staff like Sotomayor and uh, Wilmington, so those are a lot of great memories. Get to know Luis Arise, hit our team Venezuela, and what kind of friendship did you guys make in that short period of time? No, we hit it up immediately. Like, obviously, that was one of the relationships I was really looking forward to, you know, like to have to build because I knew we were going to have a ton of things to talk about. Uh, I was going to ask him stuff about the Marlins. He was going to ask me t- things about the Twins. So we really hit it up quick. And I could also see why so many uh, Minnesota Twins fans were upset of him leaving. You know, great player, even a better person. You know, he's the kind of guy that when he's on the field, he's doing everything that he can to help the team win. Extremely selfless. And the way he competes, you know, like the energy that he brings day in, day out. So I think we hit it up well. It was one of the best things that I got out of the WBC, knowing that uh, the guy that came to Miami is such a great guy that the fans here are going to really appreciate. So um, I'm extremely grateful for the opportunity to have take that away from the WBC, that kind of relationship I built with him. Do you remember facing him at all? You mentioned low A, you guys crossed paths. 2016. 2016, I was with the Clinton Lumber Kings. I think he was with the Colonels. Well, he was with the Colonels then. I, I don't remember exactly what happened, but I think it was the batting champion that year. I think he got a single that got off my club maybe one time. 
But even then you knew his bat to ball skills, so uh, you knew uh, that he was going to be trouble when he made it to the majors. Pablo, opening day starter this year, obviously you're behind Sandy here. What, what did it mean for you to get that honor, and how would you just describe the last few months since the trade happened and getting acclimated to a new team and being able to be a leader of a rotation? No, it was so much fun. Obviously, when I got traded, really being up the opening day starter was the last thing on my mind. The main thing on my mind was obviously getting to know the Minnesota Twins, getting to know how they operate, the philosophy, the pitching philosophy, and I want them to know who Pablo Lopez, the pitcher and the person was. So being the opening day starter thing wasn't something on my mind, but like uh, obviously uh, they gave me the opportunity and I think it was such a great experience. You know, it was a lot of fun. Um, it was my first one, so it's definitely something I'm going to remember and cherish, for, cherish forever. And then, yeah, like I've been at Twins now for two and a half months. Uh, yeah, I think even three months yet, but it's been extremely fun. You know, I think that Minnesota Twins, I'm extremely grateful for everything they did, they, they, they did and have done to make a transition going from the Marlins to the Twins so easy and smooth. Everyone's been extremely kind from the front office to the coaching staff, to the players, to the fans. So it's been a great two and a half months, and I'm excited to just uh, keep it going with the Twins. and. Uh, just every time I take them out, I hope the fans know that I did everything I could to prepare myself physically and mentally to leave everything on the field. Pablo, it, it is a little different because you, you already came here as a visitor at WBC, so what's it like to come in here as a visitor but to face your old team? That's no, good. yeah, that's going to be fun. Obviously, I spent five years there, five years with the Marlins, not imagining that I was going to have to face it at some point, but now that the time has come, I know it's going to be fun. You know, I have so many great relationship, relationships on that clubhouse that you know, when you when you when you're facing them, you're obviously you're obviously in that competition mentality. But there's gonna be some fun to it too, because I got to face a couple of them during live VPs in spring training. But it's not the same as an actual game. So, uh, really looking forward to a lot of those things. You know, obviously during the moment, my job is to execute pitches and try to get them out. But I know there's gonna be a lot of fun memories that will come from those encounters. Who do you um, think has an advantage then? You or the hitters, the Marlins hitters? I have seven guys behind me that can catch a ball for me, so I think the pitcher gets a little bit of an edge there. Uh, who are you looking forward to facing most? Me? I, I mean, um, I want to face Jacob Stallings because he cut 31 <laughs> of 32 stars last year, so I wonder if, if he step to the, steps up to the plate knowing how I operate and do some things. I wonder. I think that would be a good at that, so hopefully I could, I, I could get to face Jacob Stallings. Um, and Sandy's being presented with this side award on uh, the field today before the game. How much does it, does it mean to you to be able to be here for that moment for him, having spent the entire season with him last year and the years before that? No, it means the world to me. I'm, after this, I'm going to find out the time, so I'm make sure that I'm out here for that. I'm just um, cheering him on, clapping just like I did for his, for his 32 stars last year and just, just like I did all the five years before that. So super proud of him, you know, like we made our Marlins debut within a day of each other. He pitched on a Friday, pitched on a Saturday, and ever since then we were together. So watching him develop into the ace pitcher that he is, you know, he's got ace stuff, ace mentality. When he's on that mound, he's ready to be out there and compete. So I'm extremely so happy and uh, so happy and proud of him. So I'm going to make sure to be out here to just for giving another cheer. You'll do that today, but then tomorrow when he's on the mound, Cheering, clapping, probably isn't gonna happen tomorrow. Right? No, that's gonna happen when we hopefully score some runs up in. So yeah, so one last clap of support as I'm here in the stadium with him. But tomorrow when he pitches, I will be clapping for the Twins. All right, and that was great from Pablo Lopez. Thanks so much again. And Pablo, just to reflect, and I've said this multiple times on here, on other shows, and just in writing, Pablo Lopez is hands down one of the nicest guys <clears throat> that I've had the chance to interact with during my 
now going on five years on the beat, always a class act, always available to talk, always just a good human being. Luis Arai is my little interaction with him so far. He's basically been the same way. And I think Kim Ang said it best. It was, we traded the nicest guy in baseball for arguably the other nicest guy in baseball. And it definitely appears that way. Let's see what the results look like from the baseball side of the trade that we'll be able to evaluate over the next couple of years. And before we wrap up this episode, a very brief minor league report. Triple A season started on Friday. The rest of the league starts this week. Triple uh, A Jacksonville, they went two for three versus the Gwinnett Stripers, the Triple A affiliate for the Atlanta Braves. And it was a slugfest. You look at offensively, catcher Austin Allen, outfielder Peyton Burdick, and infielder Charles LeBlanc all slugged two home runs apiece. Outfielder slash first baseman Gerard Encarnacion had seven RBI in those, in those three games. New shortstop prospect Jacob Amaya acquired from the Dodgers in the Miguel Rojas trade. He had four hits and four runs scored. And like I said, the other three full-season affiliates, Double-A Pensacola, High-A Beloit, Single-A Jupiter, they all begin either Thursday, Friday, Thursday, Friday, this end of the week. So starting next week, we'll have our full minor league weekly recaps at the end of these episodes and online at MiamiHerald.com. So going to keep trying to keep up to date with everyone on the farm and see how everything's going down there. Uh, but for now, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. We will be back again next week.